Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 John. 1 John. It's good to see everyone tonight. We appreciate uh, each and every one being here. I um, have been kind of in and out of John's Gospel and the letters of John, and so I thought that I would just uh, formally uh, do a little series on um, the letters of John. Uh, we're going to look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in this series. Uh, we're not going to look at his gospel, nor will we look at the book of Revelation. But just these three little letters that we have towards the end of the New Testament that John wrote. Um, thought this one would make a, a good little series. So we're over the next uh, few weeks, we'll be looking at these writings uh, of the Apostle John. So if you're there in 1st John... Um, I want to go through a couple of things. Tonight's lesson will be uh, just an introduction to uh, the study. Where we'll talk a, a little bit about some, some facts about uh, the book, uh, the books. Um, we'll look at authorship and date of writing and those kind of things, which will be somewhat of a review. We've looked at these things not too long ago when we did our Bible survey. We'll refresh our memory. We'll look at some um, themes that run through. Uh, these three letters. Um, and then we will uh, talk about one of the big reasons, especially with the writing of, of 1 John, um, why this letter was written, and it's lit, written to um, refute some false doctrine that was out there. And so we'll look a little bit more in detail about that. And then we'll get a flavor for uh, the introduction of these letters as John writes here in, in 1 John chapter 1. So Let's begin, as we mentioned, with uh, just uh, a, a brief introduction. Um, that will be our lesson tonight. And then next week we will, Lord willing, start with looking at some more detail uh, about the text itself. So just a few facts about um, the books here uh, of, of the Apostle John. As I've mentioned and have been mentioning, uh, it, this is John the Apostle that is writing these letters. Um, it's very clear, if you're there in 1 John, uh, it says, what was from the beginning, beginning in verse 1, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands and handled concerning the word of life. So if we look at just that verse and try to ascribe authorship, we, we realize that there's going to be someone who was in the company of the Lord. And he says that he has seen with his own eyes and handled with his hands, which means that this is indeed a direct witness to the Lord. So that helps to narrow down our um, uh, search for who this, uh, this author is. In verse 2 he says, And the life was manifested, and we uh, have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. Hold your finger there and... Um, go over to uh, John's Gospel. And one of the ways that we can um, ascribe authorship to John is to looking at uh, this um, Gospel that's also accredited to John and see the similarities in the language. That helps us to establish the authorship. If you're there in John's Gospel, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And in the beginning, uh, he was the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the dark places, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. And then he goes to talk about John there in verse 6 and 7 and 8, and then down to verse 9. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, if you go back to First um, John and look down in verse 5, it says, And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness of all, at all. So we see some similar language between these two, don't we? Between John's gospel, how he introduces it, and how he introduces this letter. And he talks about witnessing and how important it is to be a witness of the things that are taking place. So that helps also in establishing um, the authorship uh, of, this, of this letter, to look at, at the similar language. And there's other things that we can look at as well. For the sake of time, we'll move on. Um, the date of writing, um, probably somewhere around A.D. 90. There's a range that I've seen between 85 and 95 A.D. is typically where most everybody falls. A lot of um, research that I did uh, gives the date of A.D. 90. A lot of scholarly work um, agrees on that date. So somewhere around there is where we can see that... Um, that John is writing this. This puts it very late into the first century. Um, it also makes John a pretty old man at this time. If we think about when our Lord um, was born around, depending on where you fall on this, around you know, AD 1, AD 3, AD 6, those dates somewhere along in there. Um, and then his ministry began at the age 30, so we can kind of see around AD 30 or so. Um, and John was, of course, an apostle of our Lord. He was considered probably the youngest apostle, which he was very, probably a very young man when he was an apostle. But so now we're talking some uh, 60 years later. So that puts John, you know, conservatively in his 80s when he's writing this. So it's an older man. And he also, we can kind of tell his um, uh, statesmanship, if you will, his elderly authority. If you look down in chapter 2, uh, verse 1, and this is not the only place that he says this, but he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you. Doesn't that sound like a, an older man that's writing to uh, younger people? He also says that over in verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins um, are forgiven for his sake. In introducing the second and third of his letters, he identifies himself as the elder. Though not just necessarily the elder of the, of the position in the church, but an elder as far as a, a man advanced in age, an older man. So typically we say around A.D. 90, uh, the book of Revelation will be written after these three letters, and we usually... Uh, see that these letters are written, all three of these letters are written about the same time. Um, the book of Revelation is going to be written a few years later, around 96 AD. So you can see that this is a man uh, very advanced in age. A lot of things, a lot of time has passed since our Lord's ministry. But he is now setting down and, and writing some things that he feels are important and guided by the Holy Spirit uh, to tell these, these little children. Typically ascribed that he is writing from Ephesus. Um, that is typically where 
it is said that he is writing. Um, the reason for his writing this is, um, uh, first of all, there's a common thread that goes through all three letters, and that is the idea that he's addressing some false teaching. And as we see with lots of letters uh, in the New Testament, that is indeed um, one of the primary purposes of their writing, is to address some things that were wrong. And so that's one thing that, that John is writing to address, is some false teaching that's going on in all three letters. Particularly in 1 John, there is this um, term here, Gnosticism. We're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail. But they, basically, this is a, a false religion. This is a, uh, um, some false doctrine that has that already cropped up and has already gained some momentum. And John addresses it. And we're going to talk about that in more detail uh, as we go forward. But also, the idea, uh, and this goes along with him refuting uh, the doctrine that is wrong, in, in chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, I'm writing these things in order that you may know. So the idea here is that um, here is some false doctrine. I am writing to you about the things of our Lord, the things of God, and I'm writing to the, to the extent that you may know, so that you may know about your faith. You may know about the Word of God. You may know about Jesus Christ the Lord and God the Father. In 2 John, he's going to be writing... Um, again, to address false teaching, but also to encourage brotherly love. Uh, we'll see in that writing that he's encouraging that and some other things that go along with that. And then in 3 John, he's going to demonstrate um, there are three individuals there that he writes about, and there's three very different characters in those three men. And so when we get there, we'll look at those three and um, see how him addressing them and the things that were going on with them is important in, in, in that third letter. A couple of other things. Um, as far as the authorship, there's some external evidence, some worldly evidence that points to John. Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, um, also accredits uh, these letters to John, the apostle. So that's some outside sources, some worldly sources that help to establish the authorship of this letter. And as I mentioned, the language um, compared to his gospel, very similar, especially with the use of light and the witness and those kind of terms that he uses, helps us to see that this is indeed they had a common authorship. One other thing that, uh, that I made mention of about this we know appears some 13 times here in, in John's writings, and it's the idea that we don't have to guess. The audience doesn't have to guess uh, about their faith and about the knowledge of God. He's writing that they may know. We know these things. We know that this is true. And so that's very important in his writing, and we'll see that as it, as it comes up as we look in more detail. Um, I know this is a lot of information. I don't expect you to take it all in in, in one sitting, but... Uh, just kind of recap some of the things. This is a little different chart, um, but kind of recaps some of the things that we've been talking about. There's the authorship, probably written uh, about A.D. from Ephesus. It's the 62nd book in the Bible, 23rd in the New Testament, those kinds of things. Five chapters, 105 verses. Um, as we know, it's, it, it's 
collected in the New Testament towards the end of the New Testament, and there's a couple of reasons for that, but it is indeed um, some of the later writings um, so that we kind of see why that helps to, to set it there. John was one of the original 12 apostles. He was also in that inner circle with Peter and James uh, as well, so very close to the Lord. In fact, he's mentioned as the disciple whom Jesus loved in John chapter 13 and verse 23. So there was a very close relationship that he had with our Lord. Um, he was called by Jesus. Um, Paul refers to him as one of the pillars of the church at Jerusalem there in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. Um, as we mentioned, this is near the end of his life. Uh, he's residing in Ephesus uh, in, and near the end of the first century. And then John eventually is going to be exiled to the island of Patmos. And that's where he has the vision about the, the things that he writes in Revelation. Um, and as we've, we've mentioned, John's responsible for five books of the New Testament. He has a gospel. He has these three letters. And he also is um, responsible for the book of Revelation. So he has five books in the New Testament. That's quite prolific. Only Paul authored more uh, New Testament books than John. Paul has 13 letters in the New Testament. But he's the only one that outnumbers John. A couple of things that he writes, um, there's reasons for writing to, to add to their joy, to help guard against sin, uh, to confirm that the truth, that the faithful have overcome the evil one, to strengthen their faith. And there's some of that, what we mentioned uh, about John, some of the, the language that's unique to him, talking about God is light and God is love and God is life. And we see that in, in the introduction uh, to both the, the gospel and this, this letter. And he teaches about these things, love and fellowship, forgiveness, confession, the blood of Christ, you know, these common things that New Testament writers take on in reminding their readers um, that you need to be holding to these things. You need to be, um, you have been established in these things and you need to reaffirm and recommit and rededicate yourselves to the things of the Lord. As I mentioned, um, there's this term and this, um, really, I guess you would call it a religious sect. Uh, I guess that would be a good name for it. And, and it's called Gnosticism. Um, and just a few, things, a few thoughts about this. Gnosticism is a, is a mixing of religious and philosophical doctrine of Christianity, Judaism, and some, some Oriental teachings, some, some teachings from the East. Uh, so you can see how this is kind of compiling a lot of things and bringing a lot of things into uh, this, this false doctrine. Um, and the, one of the things about Gnosticism, it, it, it assumes um, this intuitive or mysterious knowledge. Gnostics believe that, that they knew something that, that you don't know. And the very word Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And so what they're basing their, this false teaching on is that, this idea that, that they know something that the rest of the world doesn't know, a special revelation, uh, a special knowledge that they uh, have intuitively gained, um, and that you cannot know that unless you are welcomed into the sect, if you're brought in, um, and obviously go along with their teachings. And we know that this, this flies in the face of, 
of what God says about his word. God wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth, you know. We have passages like that. We have passages that help us understand that God's not hiding anything from us. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, as Peter writes there in his second epistle. So he's given us these things. He's not trying to hide anything from us. He's given us these things. He wants his children to, to know everything that he wants them to know about him. Now, there are some things that are hidden of God, um, but we're not talking about the things in this realm, that things that are hidden that we must discover in order to be, to be uh, pleasing to God. That's, that's not it at all. God has given us all things that he wants us to know about him. Um, just another few words here about uh, Gnosticism. Uh, as a philosophy of religion rather than a single system, it was built on the premise that spirit is good, but that matter is evil. So the spirit is good, but everything of the world, uh, things we see and touch and hear and feel, those, those things are evil. So it's the spirit that's, that's most important and not material things. And that the two can have no enduring relation with each other because the spirit is good, but uh, flesh, we'll say, is evil. There can be no correlation between the two. Um, and they go on to say salvation consists of escape from the realm of matter into the realm of spirit. This means that the means of this escape are numerous. Chief among them is knowledge by which man can rise above the earthbound chains of matter into the heavenly apprehension of truth. This knowledge, or gnosis, uh, to use the Greek term, could be attained only by those who were initiated into the inner secrets of the group. The teaching of the Gnostics was from an unorganized but cohesive cult, bound together by common rights and by common thinking, rather than officers and societies. So all that's saying is that the Gnostics believed in the, the things of the spiritual realm, and, and that was it. They didn't believe that there's a relationship between the, the spiritual and, and the earthly, and we, we know that there is, and we're going to talk about that as we go forward. Um, just a few more things to, to kind of to, to, to show how, how this is unorganized and how this is... Um, it, it, how false it is just because of some, some of these kind of ideas. The Ebionites, who were followers of Ebion, they denied the deity of Christ, teaching that he was merely a creature. So even within the Gnostics, there were some divisions. So th this group denied that, that uh, Jesus was God, and they said that he was just merely a, a creature, a living being. The other side of that, the Docetists, they denied the humanity of Christ. So these two sects within the Gnostics are in direct contra contradiction to each other. Um, they believe he was merely a vision or a being, a phantom, a void of human nature, a void of human nature, and had not come in the flesh. Remember how they, they do hold to that, that, that all flesh, all worldly, all material is evil. So how could Jesus exist in that form? And so that's why they come to this conclusion that he's simply a, uh, a spiritual being and no matter of man whatsoever. And of course, we know that that's not true. We know that Jesus Christ came in the form of a man. We have lots of scriptures that tell us that he did. 
how he bled and died, and so how important that is to our faith. Um, and then the Corinthians, they denied the union of the two natures of Christ prior to his baptism. And that's going to play an important part in, in John's teaching, and we're going to see that as we, as we go forward. But they denied that uh, really the, the holy conception of, uh, of Jesus and him coming to this earth as a man and as God at the same time at the point of his birth. And so they say it didn't happen until later on when he was baptized. Um, so even amongst the Gnostics, there's lots of division and, and disunity. It gives you an idea of, uh, of how false this doctrine is. Um, so as we mentioned, uh, one of the things, one of the reasons John writes, uh, especially this first letter, uh, is to address that, is to address, because this has already taken place at the time of, of John's writing this. This, the, this sect has already come into being and they're already practicing. Um, in fact, Paul addresses them as well, but for our um, purposes here, we're just looking at John. Go back to 1 John chapter 1, and with the idea of what we just talked about with the Gnostics in mind, Pay attention now to, to how John writes this, these first two verses. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands, handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. See how he's speaking to refute this, this false doctrine that Jesus wasn't a man, that he was just an apparition, or that he didn't uh, come to be united until his baptism uh, between his spirit and his body. And really there is no union between spirit and body because the body can't, it represents all evil where the spirit is good. You see how John is addressing that. He says, what was from the beginning? So he's addressing the idea that uh, these Gnostics are teaching um, something wrong about Jesus Christ. If you look down in chapter 2 of 1 John in verse 22, it says, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So he... We see him pointing directly at those who are denying the deity of Christ. Who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And he says, he calls them, he says, this is the Antichrist. This is the one who teaches against Christ. And also over in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God... Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, and you have seen, uh, of which you have heard that is coming and is now already in the world. You see, these, these Gnostics, they're already in the world. They're already teaching against Christ. They're teaching something that's antithetical. To, their, to the apostles and their disciples' teaching. John says here, you need to test the spirits. 
uh, or sorry, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from, is from God. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and that's a very important part of uh, our faith and the plan of God. And so those who deny that, those who try to um, explain away the humanity of our Lord are wrong. So that's why uh, John spends the time that he does in addressing this false doctrine. For the remainder of our time, I just want to look here at the first four verses of uh, 1 John 1. And uh, I, I titled this the preamble. This, this kind of sets the tone for uh, this letter as well as the other two. And just the idea of... Uh, well, let's, let's go through it. I won't talk over my own points here that I want to make. So let's, um, let's read this again in whole, uh, and then we'll come back and make some points. So John says here, 1 John 1, beginning 1, in verse 1, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands, handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. So we see, just in these few verses, John is addressing the problem here uh, of these false teachers who are denying uh, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. And John is saying, I can attest to that because I was there, because I have seen these things. He says here, what we have heard, what we have seen, uh, what we have looked at, and what we have touched, you know, that, that's speaking to our senses, isn't it? You know, we have the five senses, seeing and hearing and smelling and touching and um, and, he, and he's addressing that. We've heard the Lord speak. We've seen him. We've looked upon him. We've touched him. We've handled him. So this all points to the fact that Jesus existed in the flesh. That he was not a phantom. That he was not merely a spirit. But that he indeed existed in the flesh. And John and others were witnesses of it. We have been talking in our our class about Peter, about how in his writings he comes back to the fact that, you know, I saw that. I saw the transfiguration. And so when I tell you about these things, I speak from experience. I speak from knowledge. I speak from being a witness. And John has that very same uh, position to come at. I've seen the Lord. I saw the transfiguration. I have been with the Lord. And so now I'm telling you about the things that I saw and I heard and I witnessed. He says there in verse 2 that the life was manifested. Go back to, uh, hold your marker there, but go back to John's um, gospel and look and see how this is so important in, uh, in what's being discussed here. That the life was manifested in John chapter 1 and verse 14, as he's laying out here about Jesus Christ and who he was, how he was the Word, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he comes down to verse 14, the familiar verse to us, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that help us to understand a little bit more about how important it was that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? It's not just that um, this is a story about Christ or that he was simply a spirit. He was born of a woman. He had an earthly mother in Mary. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And how important that is in the argument uh, against this false doctrine. It says uh, in his writing here, we have seen and testify. So again, establishing the, the idea that that they have seen the Lord and they testify of seeing him. Go to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, we know the scene here um, that this is getting to right at the time when Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. And he has some final words here for his apostles. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, it says, And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed of his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You see how important that little statement is right there? You are going to be witnesses of me. You are the ones who saw me in the flesh. You have handled me. You have seen. You have heard. And so now I want you to go into all the world and tell everybody about me. You are going to be my witnesses. They are the ones that testify about Jesus Christ. And so the, the gospel is going to be spread throughout the world. Back in 1 John 1, John writes that uh, we write there in verse 4, um, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So now they have witnessed these things, and now he says that we are writing them to make their joy complete, to make, um, uh, so that our joy may be made complete. So we have gone from, uh, from the beginning, what was from the beginning, what we have heard. Couple that with what he says over in his gospel about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So this predates everything and understanding who Jesus Christ was. Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning. This is not some later manifestation. Jesus Christ is not a created being. Jesus Christ is part of the Godhead. When we witnessed that, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We handled Him. We touched Him. We saw Him. And then we went throughout the world telling other people about that, telling other people about Jesus Christ and the gospel message. Jesus Christ, Him crucified. And now John is saying, these things we write that our joy may be made complete. He's writing now to remind the readers here about all of that. And Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We saw it. 
We told the whole world about it, and now we're writing these things to remind you about these things. So that helps to set the tone uh, for this book and for the next two to come. So in our time together next week, Lord willing, we will pick up and start looking into the text in a little bit more detail. But I wanted to introduce these series of lessons and see how important these, these, these little letters are. You know, they don't have to be very long to be important when it comes to God's Word. And so I hope you'll gain a little bit more appreciation and understanding, hopefully, into these letters. Hope to see you um, then as we continue in our discussion of John's epistles. We close our time with the invitation, as we always do. Um, if there's something um, uh, amongst the brethren here that um, they need the prayers of the other brethren, I would encourage you to let that be known. And uh, if, if not specifically, if you just would like to have the prayers of the congregation, let that be known. Um, if there's something you specifically need to confess, a, this is a good time to do that as well. The day is not over yet. But if, it's, if as a child of God you are not living up to his expectations, I encourage you to make that right. And, and we're here to help you in that. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.